Hello and welcome to Portraits of Clongos, a podcast series that takes you on a journey into the lives of former pupils of Clongos Wood College. My name is Rossa McDermott, and in this podcast series, we will speak with alumni from Clongos to hear their first-hand accounts of the transformative impact this school has had on their lives. Nick Cure is a retired television presenter, company director, and former PR relations consultant. He perhaps is best known as Alan Sugar's advisor in the series The Apprentice. Today in Portraits of Clongos, we welcome Nick Cure. And as I do with all our guests, the first question, Nick, I have for you is, how was your time in Clongos and how do you remember it? Well, it's a long time ago. I went in September of 55. It all came as a bit of a surprise to me because uh, I was living in England, as I always have done. My father was at university in Dublin with my mother. She was a fellow student and uh, he dragged her back to England, which she regretted a great deal. (laughs) So I and my four siblings grew up in Wiltshire. Mm. And you can imagine my surprise when one uh, evening in sort of, I suppose, maybe August 1955, I saw my mother in floods of tears and she was sewing on name tags. All right. So what was going on here? And she said, "Um, well, I'm putting on your name tags. And I said, why would you be doing that? She said, oh, you're going to school in Ireland. I said, really? Interesting. (laughs) So that all came as a bit of a shock. So I was bundled with my one elder brother and my younger brother followed on off to Clongos, which was quite a rude shock, really, and all a bit of a mystery. Mm. But kids adapt very quickly, and I adapted very quickly. I went into prep, and I did okay. Um, I was unaware of the Irish language, so you'll be interested to know that the first weekly exam in those days (laughs) was... Irish, a language I'd never heard of. <laughs> um, so you can imagine my delight when I was uh, informed that I got 17%, which I thought was a sterling performance. <laughs> and it was only when Skivy Lawton, who was the prefect of studies, bowled in with the results and read them all out. <laughs> Every, anybody under 40% was a fail. <laughs> so you can imagine my surprise when he invited me to step outside and produced a pandy bag. <laughs> out of his Sutan and beat me. Oh, a bit much. Um, but, you know, you had to do what you were told. So that was my sort of introduction to basically the 18th century. Why do you get the 70%? What did you do right? Did you just put your name down the paper? Was that enough to I you? Must have, I must have done something right. But, I, I mean, it's a strange alphabet, Norris. Anyway, there we are. Uh, lovely language, I'm sure. But um, it was a bit, a bit unfair. But we got used to it. And, of course, you become institutionalised. I'm not suggesting that Clongus was a prison. It wasn't. But it was a very different school to the school it is today. Mm. Um, and it was very strict and there were great rules. And, of course, the place was black with Jesuits in those days. Yeah. Everywhere you look, there was Jesuit on rubber shoes. You could never hear them coming. <laughs> That's right. Um, you could never hear them coming. Um, but one made great friends there. And you went through the school. And when I left, I remember being in tears. But, of course, 
that's what happens if you live in a society as restricted in a way as that was. Mm. Um, that when you leave, you know, you, it, you go into a different world. So I loved it. But looking back, I will say that it was quite hard place. I'm not saying that it was a joyous place because it wasn't. Mm. The religious, of course, we all had to serve mass and all this thing. Mm. But I think it inculcated into the boys, and it's true, and, and the Jesuits talk about a man for others and all that sort of thing. But actually, I think it's true, because in my year, there were some very good people who devoted a good part of their life or their energies for the betterment of others, which, of course, is what it was all about. Mm. And in that sense, I think Columbus had a very, very strong moral core running through it. And I hope a bit of it rubbed off on me. I'm sure it did. I mean, that, that leads us to the second question is, how would you quantify, articulate what it gave you for life? You know, disciplines or values that you've adopted or seen yourself adopt? Yeah, I mean, I think it did. I think that um, I've never been money-minded. So I'm not a greedy financial person. Mm. But looking after one's family and so forth is very important. I think looking after others is important. And I'm certainly not a great philanthropist, but I do support as a patron a number of um, charities and things like that. And Not not because I'm a holy fellow, but actually I've got the ability, perhaps, because of what I did over the last 20 or so years, to have a profile that enables me to promote them in the media and so forth. And it works. It works. I'm very happy to do that. Yeah, I hope that doesn't sound too flip. But um, I I think that in that sense, I give a little bit back. Yeah, but whether you're able to do it or not, the fact that you can and actually think about doing it, the original nation of the idea to do something for others or whatever you want to articulate, you didn't pick it up off the ground. So obviously something stuck with you in those years there that you felt that was something you, you would like to do if you could. Yeah, I guess that's right. So that's by and definition. I was given the opportunity and I do my little bit and I hope it's worthwhile. Yeah. No, I've seen you do it. There's no problem. And in terms of your real recollection, I mean, is there one thing that stands out when you think about Clongos is the avenue or, I don't know, the grounds, is the coldness or the darkness? Because, I mean... I was there in 72, and it wasn't that idyllic either, but it was a lot better than 10 years before, I'm sure. You go down now, it's like what we'd call a holiday camp. They go home every weekend, they walk, they get taxis to claim, get pizzas delivered. It's very, very different now. Really? Well, that all sounds far too slack. <laughs> no, it was very, I mean, I love the avenue. Mm. Of course, it was very, the old buildings were wonderful, and I'm so sorry they've torn them all down yeah. because they've torn, I think, the warmth of the place. Mm. We had things like the wooden gallery, and we had the old library. You probably don't realise that there was a tuck shop um, that was run by a Jesuit called Spalam, who, was, frankly, wasn't my favourite. He was a strange man. Mm. But we could smoke with okay. parents uh, after uh, supper in the, in the old library, which is a beautiful library. Yeah. So, uh, and also in the billiard room, uh, you could smoke as well. If you're caught smoking elsewhere or at the wrong time, of course, you'd be beaten to within an inch of your life. In fact, you might even have been expelled. I can't remember. Mm. But certainly we uh, we all smoked as much as possible. And in the, <laughs> in the library, of course, this was the days in the early 50s, mid-50s, uh, when 
commercial radio starting. And um, somebody used to go into this smoke-filled library and turn on a small transistor radio <laughs> and listen to Radio Luxembourg, which oh, was right. forbidden, forbidden. And then there was somebody on the door to make sure that if there's a Jesuit approaching at speed, you could <laughs> turn, turn the radio off. Uh, it was cold as charity, so we all s- sat on the pipes. It was cold water, yeah. of course, cold water. And then we used to play something called Gravel Ball, oh, which I was this, yeah. amazing, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. They'd stopped it in your time, huh? Yeah, they did, yeah. Yeah, it's well, that, this was the best fun because... Imagine after breakfast on a sort of winter's day to go out in the sort of rain on the gravel in front of the thing in your, you know, everyday clothes and a small rugby ball would be kicked high in the air and then it was a free-for-all. And basically, I think it was the sort of lower line versus the third line. These names have now gone. And the thing was to kill as many of your friends (laughs) as you possibly could and then get that ball through the door by the infirmary. All right. Eight people piled high. It was amazing. (laughs) It was the best one ever. And it was absolute bedlam. So that was that was a great thrill. There was gallery football, of course, <laughs> rolled up socks. Yeah. We had a series, a period of bomb making <laughs> using the chemicals from the chemistry lab when people were making bombs and exploding them all over the school. Until such time as one friend of mine, actually in our year, stuck a very, very big bomb made of lead pipe up wow. the drain pipe of the Highland Pavilion. My God. And nearly blew the roof off. <laughs> he, he left that afternoon. Um, so there was high jinx, certainly. Yeah. But there was a very firm hand on the tiller from the staff's point of view. And certainly there were things called checkbooks. The boys aren't beaten anymore, I understand. No, they're not. They went down. Oh, um, uh, okay. Well, they, it was in full flurry of activity in our day because each master would be equipped with a checkbook, <laughs> which was written in Latin, which was fun. And if any misdemeanor, if you misbehaved in class, you were in the wrong place at the wrong time, or you were not doing your work properly or talking at the wrong time, you were issued with a check, and you then had to rush around trying to find somebody to beat you. Yeah, you had to know who was on duty, pain. per se, who was, who was a what? pan. You had to know who was on duty for panding, really. Well, you tried to go for soft touch. Um, some beat more heavily than others. But um, actually, it didn't do us any harm, really. Yeah. But looking back, of course, it was dreadful. But the, every school did the same. Yeah. Every school did the same. But I think there was um, great friendships was made. And indeed, I'm still in touch. I travel over to Ireland uh, a couple of times a year and team up with the the guys, and it's a very close-knit group who all had that sort of common experience and didn't resent it at all, and in fact, I think, gained something from it. And you've only got to look at the number of boys that send their kids, their boys, to to Congos to, you know, recognise that um, there's that sort of affection and worth in Mm. old boys' hearts. And there's no bullying or anything serious. I mean, it's changed now, but... You know, there was nothing... I don't think there was bullying. I don't recall bullying. Neither do I. I mean, oh, I, I do remember some, but... one, one, one boy was very badly. Uh, he was bullied. There's another chap, he's a wonderful chap. He kept running away. <laughs> very, he, we used to buy all his stuff. <laughs> sort of an, he used to hold an auction 
and we'd buy him at cut price. We, we'd, he would buy from him at cut price prices, all his possessions, yeah. <laughs> and he would make a run for it, but always be swooped up, yeah. right, plain or something. <laughs> and he'd come back and want to buy stuff back, which says, um, I'm terribly sorry, the market's gone sky high. <laughs> the prices have gone up. The prices, I'm afraid, have gone up. He, he, he was great fun. But generally speaking, most guys stuck it out, you know, and came back from all, really. And as you say, you've kept Always in touch over the years. I think in the sort of school system, we, we, we thought we were, we were the tops, mm. longest tops. And in fact, not re- quite recently, actually, I was with somebody, not a Congo's boy, and he said, where is you? I said, I was a Klongos. He said, oh, yes, you can always tell a Klongos boy. I said, how do you know that? He says, because they always tell you. <laughs> Clear. <laughs> we were all very proud of ourselves. <laughs> and you were there with your brother, were you? Two brothers. Two brothers. One, one went off early to Trinity, mm. and the other, to be frank, didn't like it. All right. And he was taken home and uh, back to England and sent to a prep school. He went very young, I think, actually. Yeah. A wonderful chap, but he he didn't quite click. And my parents said, "Oh well, look, we'll send him." And he went off to a, a school uh, over here. And they had two sisters, of course, who didn't go to school. Yeah, and that was our, our lot. Yeah. But I view the place with great affection. But also, I, I tried to be sort of a little bit more analytical about it. I think the education was very good. I tell you what was interesting: my pals here in England that went away to school here, mm. I was much better read than they were. And I really? think that Tonga's boys read a lot more. Mm. They had some very good teachers. And we were all reading, you know, the great American novel when we were 15, yeah. you know? Yeah. And not least because there was a guy called Tom, somebody or other, teaching English. He's, he's, he died recently. He was quite a well-known playwright. But he introduces to Steinbeck and Faulkner and all Hemingway and all the rest mm. of it. So we were right into that. And that was a wonderful thing. Yeah. I think we were well educated in a, in quite a sort of traditional sort of way. Nowadays, of course, you know, you can have lessons in. I mean, my grandson's away at school, and his A levels are bizarre. He's doing musical music technology <laughs> and photography. Yeah. What? <laughs> well, what is the right really word? Here? You can do anything you want these days. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, and the whole thing moving from Wiltshire. To Ireland, I, mean, I, I was I grew up abroad, Nick. So my first real time in Ireland was twelve, thirteen, having been in Spain, Nigeria, Brazil. So all my history was Anglo history. Cromwell was great, and when I got there, I had to relearn it. So did, was it, did you find that you just adapted and moved on, and just did your mental? Well, of course, what happened it really is that my geography of England is hopeless. But I can tell you <laughs> where Malin Head is, yeah, and the McGillicuddy Reef. <laughs> It's not much good if you're sitting in a farmhouse in Northamptonshire. Yeah. So uh, history too, as an English boy, of course, as soon as you go to Columbia as an English boy, it doesn't take long before actually you're Irish. Yes. There's a conversion taking place. So I would be viewed as English when I'm at Clongos, and I'd be viewed as Irish when I'm in England. And <laughs> Your accent has changed. Always, <laughs> I always travel on a, an Irish passport. Yeah. Mad not to. Mad not, yeah. Um, so English history was a bit sketchy. <laughs> um, 
but there we are. Listen, I think the values that we got are very worthwhile. I think we're decent guys come out of there. Um, they're not money mad. They're considerate, compassionate, and they have a recognition that they have a duty to look after those less fortunate than themselves. Are we not um, money mad enough, do you think? Is that a failing of the digital system? They don't make us hard enough business people? Or do you think that's a, a virtue that they don't? You know, there are those who come out of Congress very money, well, not money mad, but very conscious. I suppose Michael O'Leary could be construed as somebody or considered somebody who possibly is quite keen on making money. Yeah. I, mean, I wasn't. Yeah. I ran my own business, and I might tell you, with just a hint of pride that yeah. I always made a profit and never made a loss. But I was not working just to for make them. money. I was working to support myself and my family right? yeah. in a reasonable fashion. Yeah. Or to a reasonable level, put it that way. Fair enough. And is there a piece of music that you associate or pieces of music with your time there that you hear now and say, that takes me back to Hardline Pavilion or this, that and the other? Well, there are two pieces, quite funny, actually, in that smoky library <laughs> with the transistor radio crammed in there. It was a very pretty library built mm. as a library. And, of course, this was the days of Radio Luxembourg, as I said. And there were two songs. One was called The Green Door, What's Behind the Green Door, which was a very great favourite. And actually, I looked up The Green Door on Google just a few minutes ago to discover that there was actually a film called The Green Door, which was the first commercially successful pornographic film. <laughs> but that was in 1972. So I looked a little bit more hard little bit harder, and it was called The Green Door. And I think it came out in 1956, which works perfectly. And that was on Radio Luxembourg all the time. And the other one was called 16 Tons, which was about the fate of Tennessee coal miners in the 1920s or 1910s, which was banned because it hinted at communism. I always remember some Jesuits saying, no, you can't play that. It's a socialist song and it's all about, you know, communism and, you know, because it was the miners saying we work all day and get nothing and everything is owned by the company. Mm. So that's my little offering. Uh, the Green Door as opposed to Green Door, which is the pornographic film. <laughs> I urge you to avoid. Yeah. <laughs> and 16 tons and what do I get? It's 16 tonnes of coal that these guys would shift every day. Mm. Uh, but no serious music, I'm afraid, That from Clongos. I failed to get in the choir. They gave me a, they gave me an audition which lasted about six seconds. He said, no, you're not good. And he <laughs> moved gone. on to the next one. And there was a music room. The most terrible noises came out of that. <laughs> and there was no classical music, as I recall. Now... I'm very keen on classical music and I'm not bothered about pop music, but that wasn't the case all those years ago. Mm. And does Clongos feature in your book, your alphabet, A to Z? I did. I, I did a thing on the Jesuits, yeah, which I hope was, which was truthful, certainly, from my perspective. And I hope not unduly critical. I think the Jesuits, I was calling them the sort of great educators of Europe, you know, mm. and they're smart people and decent people. And um, it's a shame that we don't breed too many of them. Yeah, know, there's only five of them. I was down there recently for lunch. Only five in the community now in Clongos, Nick. It's five. Uh, five. 
yeah, that's what's left there to to maintain the ethos. So it's, it's not a growing organization like most uh, religious. Uh, Where are the Jesuits coming from? They're coming from South America. Or yeah, Africa, if they or are, there's, I think there's one person joined in Switzerland recently or in Ireland recently. So the recruitment is is non-existent. So. There is Mickey Shield and four others living in the castle. That's the last kind of bastions of uh, what Clongos was, Jesuit-wise, yeah. If you were to sum up, then, as a close, Nick, in one word, one phrase, what Clongos meant to you, was for you, or is for you still today, what would that be? Difficult to do it in one word. But a if phrase, there's yeah. an overriding thing, um, I think that the guys in my sort of group, I would say there was a a great sense of honesty. I think they're honest. And if that could also, you could attach to that, honesty and concern. I think people are concerned. And you've only looked at people like McVarianko, yeah. you know, who devoted their lives. I know that he's a Jesuit and so forth, but nonetheless, he's devoted his life to the betterment of others. So, you know, you can't ask a lot more than that, really. Nick Cure, I want to thank you for joining us today. No, you're right. And he made a decision very early, Nick, in fairness, Peter. And, you know, something affected him one year out of uh, school, and that's what he's been doing ever since. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, I mean, the seeds have to be sown is the point you were making. The, you yeah. know, it's it, to give nowadays, whether you have money or not, to the act of giving, the thought of giving, be, that seed has been sowed a long time ago that you think it's a, a it gives value to you. you one, no, I, I had a good thing. Um, which I wouldn't talk about because yeah. it, it sounds pious. But I was um, a patient of a charity that was working in Sierra Leone. I went down to see what they were doing, made some films for them, blah, blah, blah. And when I was down there, I was introduced to this lad. He was about 18, mm. and he'd been trained as a carpenter yeah. by the charity called Hope and Hope's Children. And he was living on the beach in some hut with some other lads, and um, he got a job making um, bedsteads in a little lean-to factory, you know, which yeah. doesn't. Anyway, he showed me his own little workshop, and I thought, that's brilliant. A couple of years later, I thought, I'm a bit bored. I think I want to do something, um, have an adventure. So I checked with the charity. He was still around, this boy called James Conte. Mm. And I then got myself scrounged and bought and all of it, a trailer and a big um, Toyota Land Cruiser mm. and a big power generator from a lorry and a big industrial saw bench, yeah, a planer. I heaped all this stuff on and I went down, drove uh, overland down to Sierra Leone and surprised we set him up in business. This is 10 wow. years ago. 10 years ago. Um, and I bought him a a stock of wood, mm. and we got him a, a workshop. I got some money, and I bought him some land. And 10 years on, the joy of it is that um, he's married, he's got five children, and he's got a good business, and he's employing people, mm. and he's making panel doors, and it's a success. Now, wow. the thing there is, the, is don't give a bloke a fish, give him a fishing line. Okay? Yeah. The second thing is, be able to spot somebody who's got the ability to do it. He's now employing people. Mm. His kids are all, you know, in school uniforms, going to school. And he was literally sleeping on the beach in a sort of lean-to. So Very rude here for spotting that. that. No, but the, the, the pleasure that gives me, because oh, yeah. 
he sends me um, memos and pictures and all that. Never asks for money. Mm. Never asks for money. He could because I'm a rich yeah. uh, Westerner, you know, yeah. European. Um, and but never asked for it. Uh, and that is the great joy. Yeah, it's amazing. And you still yeah. keep me as busy as ever. I'm quite busy. Yeah. Um, but um, not. Re- I've retired really. Yeah. You never really retire, you don't. I mean, you always do I'm bits. 80. I'm 80. I know, I but know. still, your mind is still very, very sharp, Nick. Don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Thanks a million. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye.